11.30 on Tuesday. It's June 8th, which means it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making the Rural Voice of Nebraska part of your day, wherever you may be listening. Fully packed house once again. Jason is in to talk about Husker baseball and squandering it late. But uh, a great season at the, the very least for Husker baseball. We'll have more on that in a little bit. Uh, Bob is in. He'll tell us how stocks are performing and uh, if things are back up and running for a lot of those areas that got uh, ransomware or the, the, the that uh, messed with earlier this morning. We'll find out more about that. And then in about uh, 15 minutes, we will catch up with the Paul Perkins uh, to hear more about the weather and maybe a chance of thunderstorms rolling in tonight. But we'll hear more on that coming up in just a bit. But let's catch up with Susan Littlefield, who is in our office in Lincoln. And uh, Susan, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. I tell you, fingers are crossed, toes are crossed, whatever it takes to maybe get some rain tonight. Well, keep crossing because I don't know if it's in (laughs) uh, the cards for the near future, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we'll take the warm weather. It looks like it's 86 there in Lincoln. Is it muggy out there, too? You know, I don't know. I haven't been outside since about 7.30 this morning, but it definitely looks warm from the people I'm watching walk mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Everybody's in shorts, I'm sure, if they can be there in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you have coming up for us in midday? We'll kick everything off here at 12.19. Chabella will be coming in to talk about Tractor Enthusiast Hub at Legacy of Plains Museum at Garing. We'll find out more about that. It's time for Regional Ag Weather Update here on this Tuesday. Joining us now is Paul Perkins and well, Paul, we're seeing mostly 80s already. It's not even new time, and uh, it's only going to get warmer. <laughs> yes, uh, continued hot and humid across the area. A bit on the sticky side, those actual air temperatures right now, pretty much in the low and mid-80s. And we the warmest areas continue to be into eastern Nebraska, Omaha and Lincoln, currently at a temperature of 86. You combine those temperatures with the dew points on into the mid-60s for the most part, and it's starting to fill uh, right into the mid-upper 80s across the area. So uh, definitely warm and sticky more of that moisture continuing to move into the area it's almost feeling like july more than june right, right. now <laughs> even in here kind of inside the studio yeah. it feels a little sticky a little bit you can feel the air inside yeah the air conditioner not quite keeping up at <laughs> this trying. time yeah it's trying and uh, now one thing that we're also wondering a lot of us are wondering Chance for rain, any kind of precipitation, it seems like it's low. Looks like a, maybe a promising chance on Thursday night, but yeah, otherwise looking pretty low chances. You know, maybe a hit or miss a shower thunderstorm moving through late tonight into tomorrow morning, but otherwise, yeah, kind of high and dry over the next few days. And that long-term forecast also not indicating too much in the way of rain potential. Okay, well, hopefully that changes down the road, but not uh, looking good. But today, give me another warm one. Exactly. Right now, once again, most of those temperatures, upper 70s to low 80s, the mid-80s as you head to eastern areas of Nebraska, but already seeing some upper 80s to around 90 in parts of uh, South Dakota, as warm as 89 in portions of northeast South Dakota, and up to 91 in southeast North Dakota. And they're expecting some temperatures near triple digits from the Dakotas on into Minnesota today. For our area, though, today and tomorrow, a lot like what we saw yesterday in Mexico sun and clouds. Temperatures right around 10 degrees warmer than normal. That moisture drifting north from low pressure in the southern plains once again keeping it humid. Scattered thunderstorms expected to develop over the western high plains this afternoon. The leftovers of those storms will drift into the central areas late tonight into tomorrow morning. Any severe weather chances will be limited and isolated. Thursday will be our hottest day of the next seven. Expecting highs well into the 90s on Thursday. High humidity will make it feel like it's right around 100. Thunderstorms to 
develop near a cold front in the west by Thursday afternoon. Track to the east for Thursday night. Some of those storms could be severe with some hail and damaging wind. In behind that front on Friday, actually looking at a decent day. Breezy north winds on Friday and seasonal temperatures and probably lower humidity with those north winds. The weekend and early next week, though, seeing a return to dry weather and temperatures right around 10 degrees warmer than average as the ridge of high pressure once again starts to build north across the plains. In the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures remain likely for Sunday through June 21st for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. as a western ridge of high pressure starts to set up. During mid-June in central Nebraska, our average daytime highs are in the low half of the 80s with average overnight lows in the upper 50s. Once again, expecting warmer than normal temperatures through June 21st. Not much rain expected with below normal rainfall predicted for Nebraska, Kansas, and the northern two-thirds of the U.S. for Sunday through June 21st. Key weather factors driving the markets include heat with some rain in crop areas of the northern U.S. and more dry weather in central Brazil. On the plains, high temperatures today could approach 100 in southeast Montana and parts of the Dakotas, further stressing the northern plains winter wheat and spring planted crops. 25% of the spring wheat crop rated very poor to poor, a 21st century record for this time of year. Topsoil moisture rated at least one half very poor to poor. And make that topsoil moisture rated at least one half very short to short in North Dakota, South Dakota, Michigan, and Minnesota. Most of the Northern Plains continues to see their drought increase. Organized widespread rain is forecast for Thursday into Friday, but behind that rain, the Northern Plains will turn dry. In the eastern Midwest, scattered rain will continue through Friday. The western Midwest has seen very high temperatures and increasing dryness and drought. After organized rain moves through the western Midwest for Friday, it dries up over the weekend and early next week with well above normal temperatures, the eastern Midwest for temperatures next week near to below normal. In central Brazil, drought stress is harsh and second crop corn running out of time for rain to be a benefit. Scattered moderate to heavy rain will continue in southern Brazil but for most of this week, but that rain dries up when it quickly moves to the north. Okay, well, today is going to be another warm one. Foreseeable future, uh, summer-like temperatures, pretty much well, yeah, for the foreseeable future. Exactly, yeah, pretty much all the way through that first day of summer through June 21st, pretty much above normal temperatures and below normal rainfall. Hopefully some chances at some decent rainfall with that front moving through on Thursday, but usually those things don't pack a whole lot of moisture. You have to wonder if uh, we're already seeing summer like temperatures now. What's July and August going to be like? I know, it's kind of worries you. It definitely <laughs> does. All right, well, for a full weather forecast, where can you find that? Weather page, krvn.com. All right, thank you, Paul. The All-Star Game season continues on Saturday night as we bring you the Western Nebraska All-Star football game from Scott's Bluff on 880 KRVN, 106.9 at Carney and 98.5 at Grand Island. Our coverage on Saturday night starts at 745 with kickoff at 8 along the Rural Radio Network. Our broadcast is made possible by Flatwater Bank, Pony Express Chevrolet, State Farm Insurance Agent Heidi Bazana, and Sweeney Wealth Management. That's a Western Nebraska All-Star game this Saturday night on KRVN. The Nebraska Antique Farming Association, better known as a tractor relay across Nebraska, has been in the panhandle of Nebraska since June 5th. The relay is usually a nine-day event which travels across Nebraska, stopping at various towns. The association was founded by Jack Preston of Gearing and a board member of the Legacy of the Plains Museum. And as Donna Wilton, secretary of the association, explains, the group decided to change things up a bit this year. But now we've narrowed it down to five days because we're all getting a little older and so are our tractors. 
This year, though, is a little bit different because we're hubbing right here out of Gearing, the Legacy of the Plains Museum. So now each day, we've been here since Saturday, and each day we'll go a different direction away from the museum and we'll house our tractors here overnight. So then that way the public can come out in the evenings and view our tractors. The tractors traveled to Table Mountain Vineyards outside of Torrington, Wyoming on Saturday and visited local sites in Gearing such as the Scottsbluff National Monument on Sunday and Wildcat Hills on Monday. Wilton says having a hub makes it nice to see more and have shorter days. Next year, we've kind of taken a lesson from this, so one of the towns next year will stay two days before we move on. Usually what we do is get up early in the morning, and those who have trailers or campers and that kind of thing, they move ahead to the next destination like an hour away, then come back, hop on the tractors, and we drive. And that makes a very long day. The tractors range in age and brand from John Deere's to Farmalls and Moline's. Seen as they are older tractors, Wilton says they do keep the highways and back roads, which can be dirt. Yesterday, because you guys are so dry, it was a little dusty yesterday, but we averaged 10 miles an hour, you know, with our tractors, so it's not too bad, and we kind of space ourselves out so we're not eating each other's dust, you know, but it was a real good day. We do both gravel, dirt, highway. But we try to stay off the highways as much as we can because we are so slow, you know, 10 miles an hour versus somebody going down the road at 70 miles an hour. Many of the drivers are older, but there are some younger drivers in the bunch, such as Kyle Petch of Milford, who picked up his love of antique tractors from his dad. I grew up around a farming community. Both my grandparents farmed uh, and so grew up around tractors. My dad and I restored tractors when I was little and we've just been around them pretty much my entire life and being able to just go out and drive and see sites that you don't get to see every day is part of what's fun about all of this. Kyle and his dad Fred restored a Minneapolis Moline M670 about four years ago. Fred took it on its first tractor relay from Colorado to Omaha, Nebraska, and this year Kyle is driving the Moline. He says the tractors offer another way to view the state. Like yesterday, when we were out, we saw all kinds of different landscape. You know, we, we got up in the hills, we got out in some flat area. It was a nice cool morning when we started off. At the end of the day, it was, not, it was hot and a little windy. Uh, but then just being able to view all of the countryside that you see that you don't really see in a car when you're driving along, you're able to kind of slow down, you see some of that. And then there's just other things that you get to see along the way people out waving, uh, little kids seeing you as you go by. They just love watching all the tractors go by. Wilton agrees for the drivers. It's the camaraderie and the enjoyment of the scenery from the tractor seat. Everybody has loved it so far. They really, and they really like this area. You know, we've been here before for one day going through, but they really like the area and they like the scenery. They really like it. The Legacy of the Plains Museum will host the tractors until Wednesday when the group will finish up and head home. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us. And, well, if you missed it last night, Husker Baseball saw their season to come to a close and uh, put up a great fight. And they did. It wasn't for a lack of effort. They almost got through that eighth inning, but 
Arkansas with a big run off of the wild pitch, and then uh, the next pitch, I believe, was blasted out to left field as uh, they knocked off the Huskers 6-2. to two. Nebraska was in a regional final round for the first time since 2007, and even though they didn't push through, head coach Will Bolt says this team gave him maximum effort. The, the things that the boys poured into it, I think that's that's something that you can really hold on to, and just what Husker Nation has always been about in the state of Nebraska is just hard work, you know, um, just blue collar and just show up and get after it. And I said that when I, you know, first day that I got this job, that's what I want people to say about our team. Um, I can hold my head high today knowing that, that that's what these guys did. Bold made his comments last night at his postgame show on the Huskers Sports Network. Huskers wrap up the year 34 and 14. You know, Arkansas coach Dave Van Horn, and we saw when he was here at Nebraska, he's pretty stoic. You never know what's going on, but you could tell there were, there was a look of concern there, especially early on, that, oh, yeah, this this isn't going to be easy. Well, which is pitching well. Uh, better than I think, even like Greg and Ben were talking mm-hmm. it on the radio, better than everybody had thought. The issue is once Arkansas brought in their stud and he wasn't allowing anything, that's when he got a little nervous. Also, for the puzzle to work for the Huskers, they needed Povich to go at least five. Yes. And what got Nebraska to a couple, two outs there that they just couldn't get to the finish line. But still, great run, and good things, I think, are in store for Husker baseball moving forward. Three former Nebraska volleyball standouts have been named to the U.S. Women's Volleyball National Team that will represent our country at the Olympic Games in Tokyo this summer. Head coach Karch Karai named former Huskers Jordan Larson, Kelsey Robinson, and Justine Wongarantis to the 12-player roster. Nebraska's most represented university with three former players in the squad. And for Jordan Larson, this will be the third time she's been on Team USA. That's pretty cool. And she is what? You said 35? Mid, mid-30s now? I mean, she's, for volleyball players, she's right. she's a grizzled veteran, right? And that's that's great to have that she's able to get that. But three former Huskers, and that's Good happened stuff. that's happened before. But it's cool to see it happen again. The rich just keep on getting richer. Alabama coach Nick Saban has agreed to a three year contract extension through twenty twenty nine. The extension includes eight point four million in base salary and a talent fee for the current contract year with annual raises of unspecified amounts. No word on if the players will also be getting bonuses or pay raises, <laughs> but uh, we do know they're going to take care of Coach is Saban. Is that the talent fee is? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Maybe, you know. That SEC payroll can be pretty high. Well, no doubt. It probably could be higher than that if they wanted it to be. Also, I think schools like Alabama, and this is what it's been set up, but this licensing thing that's going through for the kids and that, that's just going to make it even sweeter for the, for the, the big, big uh, powers in college football to stay at the top. And if you're Nick Saban. Yeah. And if you are one of those, why would you ever want to leave, essentially? I mean, if you're a power in the SEC, mm-hmm. why would you ever want to leave? So, yeah, Nick Saban, but with what he's done, you can probably say he's worth every penny with six national titles since 2007. And some sad news here. Former New York Giants coach Jim Fossil has passed away. He was 71. He was named the NFL Coach of the Year in 1997 and led the team to the 2001 Super Bowl. His son confirmed the death to the L.A. Times. Fossil coached the Giants from 1997 through 2003. His team lost to the Ravens in the Super Bowl after the 2000 season. He was a good coach, underrated coach. Wasn't he with the Broncos as well for a yeah, year? Yeah, he bounced around for quite a while. He, he coached for a number of teams. But you you have a good memory. Yes, Offensive he was part of that stuff. Coordinator? Yes, okay. that's what he did. Just, just so. making sure. I saw that as well. So it's just not necessarily memory, but I saw that. But uh, 
Yeah, tough news there. So, All right, very good. Well, thank you very much. You bet that sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Risk Management Workshop is scheduled for Wednesday, June 23rd from 5 to 8.30 p.m. by the Nebraska Extension in Lincoln County. Randy Saner lists the topics to be discussed. They will learn about some of the rental rates, what's happening in the, in the rental rate industry as far as 2021. And then a little bit about designing a flexible lease, because as we see corn prices going up and down, how can you as a landowner or you as a renter adjust that so you're not paying a high price for a lease? Corn is low and you know a lower price when it's high if you can kind of adjust it. That's one of the things we'll talk about. And then protecting profits, managing your your price risk with some of the tools we have, such as PRF, some of the programs where you can guarantee at least lock down the bottom. The workshop will take place at the West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. Saner adds they will also discuss managing price risk for cattle with futures, options, and insurance. To register for this workshop, call Randy at 308-532-2683 by June 22nd. A lawsuit challenging Nebraska's two-tiered system for Medicaid expansion is on hold now that state officials have committed to giving all participants the same slate of benefits. The Omaha World Herald reports that Lancaster County District Judge Susan Strong granted a motion to pause legal proceedings until October 4th. That's the first business day after everyone enrolled in Medicaid expansion is to get coverage for dental, vision, and over-the-counter medications. Nebraska Appleseed, the Lincoln-based advocacy group that filed the case, and the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services, which administers the state Medicaid program, filed the motion. State officials recently announced they would abandon plans for a limited tier of coverage for most Medicaid expansion patients. Authorities say a man has died in a shootout with police in western Nebraska following an hours-long standoff at a Scotts Bluff home. Police say officers were held at bay outside the home for nearly six hours as attempts to negotiate with the man failed. Police say when a team of officers entered the home, the man fired at them and they returned fire, fatally shooting the man. No officers were injured. Police have not released the 47-year-old man's name or the names of the officers involved. The University of Nebraska at Kearney is hosting a week-long summer camp for middle schoolers who want to learn more about technology and cybersecurity. Scheduled for July 12th through the 16th in UNK's Discovery Hall, the Super Gen Cyber Girls Camp uses hands-on activities to teach cybersecurity concepts. Then participants learn about the technology by spending time in the lab. Based on the six cybersecurity concepts, the curriculum incorporates real-world cybersecurity techniques, alongside fun STEM activities. The Super Gen Cyber Girls Camp runs from 8 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. each day with breakfast, lunch, and snacks provided. There is no cost to participate. Middle school students, grades 5 through 8, with no technical experience, are encouraged to sign up. For more information, contact Angela Holman at holmanak at unk.edu. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. Well, it is the summer show season, and we're coming back to year two. A very exciting show that's put on by two sisters that have a passion for agriculture. 
grew up in the show industry. They're entrepreneurs, and they're being entrepreneurial about starting their own jackpot show. It is year two of Champions in the Valley. That's coming up this Saturday in Franklin, Nebraska. Going to be an exciting show for all species, and I have the opportunity now to talk with Ralston and Raylan Rip. They are the sisters who came together and wanted to put this on last year. It was a dream come true. Ladies, thank you for talking with us. As we come into year two, what can we expect to see this year? We are very excited for the second annual Champions in the Valley show to take place this weekend. And one of the big changes for this year is we've moved it to a two-day weekend affair. So exhibitors can expect to see on Saturday, June 12th, we will have the cattle show that will start at 10 a.m. We will have the sheep and goat show also on Saturday that will start at 11 a.m. So we will be running Two shows on Saturday, two separate show rings, and then added to the schedule this year, we will have the hog show on Sunday, June 13th. So that show on Sunday will start at 10.30 a.m. So moving from a one-day, kind of a long-day affair, we joked, we showed until midnight last year, kind of turned into Saturday night under the lights. So we moved to a two-day weekend affair. Champions in the Valley showing under the lights that came together. And that leads right into my next question is the fact that from the outside looking in, I had the opportunity to, to watch last year's show. It looked like it ran very, very smooth. Everything really just clicked and worked for folks. So really, are there any things that you, that you wanted to improve on coming to this year outside of making it a two-day show? We had many families ask, are you going to go to two days? Are you going to add another ring? Or they enjoyed It's definitely a a moment to be remembered forever showing there till midnight, but just making sure that we can help our families plan more accordingly and kind of just be respectful of their time and even make it a more laid back weekend to allow more camaraderie and youth to visit throughout the weekend and the shows and just kind of enjoy being together while promoting their hard work that they've put in throughout the summer. Our biggest thing is we're here to service youth and we just had some comments about making sure that um, maybe we can stick more to a timely schedule, but also adding some breeding shows to other species is kind of a big thing that we're excited to see how it'll work out with adding a breeding show to sheep, goats, and hogs. So we're excited to bring in that sector and allow youth to really promote all projects that they've been working on. We think about the importance of youth shows like this in terms of that youth development. Ladies, now that you've had the opportunity not only to be involved when you were in the youth side of it now, but to help organize the show, what do you see as the importance of these shows for youth development? Those who exhibited last year and will come and join us this year for their first time potentially, I think it's evident to see that showing livestock is more about walking your animal into the ring and maybe striving to walk out with a banner but it's more important just the people that you get to meet and learning the life lessons that it takes practice and it takes hard work back at home and being diligent about your chores at home and really striving to work hard to hopefully have it pay off in the end but really realize that it's it's more about the experiences that you have and the lifelong friendships that you get to make throughout the industry. We've been at a few prospect shows early on this year, and it's just it's crazy to see how small the ag industry can get. And we're truly all one big family. 
as our entire family's been involved growing up in our show in livestock and now they're involved as we help put on a show and try to provide those opportunities for other families out there and it's just important to teach those life lessons of hard work and time management and also just confidence in being able to talk to others and make those friendships and create opportunities that you never know where they might lead you to but truly just lifelong and once-in-a-lifetime experiences to be a part of the livestock show industry. If you're just joining us again, thank you for tuning into the World Radio Network. We're talking with Ralston and Raylan Rip as they come into year two of Champions in the Valley. Our last question, centering more around youth development and its importance, you came up through these ranks. You're having this opportunity now, and it started last year. I remember you kind of talking about you wanted to give back. You wanted to give back and create another opportunity. Do you feel like this is kind of coming through on that, that mission statement that you first started Champion in the Valley around? I would definitely say so. Ralston and I both were very heavily involved in 4-H and FFA and breed associations, um, ag agriculture youth projects growing up. And so creating a show for youth in the livestock industry last year during the COVID circumstances was a way that we wanted to try and bring another opportunity to youth and maybe a year that some of those opportunities were being eliminated. So that was really how Champions in the Valley came together. And we are going to continue to hold this show year after year. And we really feel like that it's just a great platform for youth to get out and show their livestock, to not only show their animals to compete in class from a confirmation standpoint, but also showmanship is such a huge part of showing livestock, as well as just interacting with their peers, really networking and the camaraderie that Ralston talked about earlier. So we're very excited to hold the second annual Champions in the Valley this weekend. For folks that either want to come out and watch the shows, they will want to follow along on social media, what is the best way to do so? Yes, so please feel free to follow us along at Champions in the Valley on Facebook. You can find our contact information there as well, and feel free to reach out with any questions. And we'd be happy to invite everyone to come out and watch and still want exhibitors and their families to know that entries are still open so we will be accepting entries up until the show day, and we will have on-site entries as well. So if it's a last-minute decision, we totally understand, and we would love to have you. Every exhibitor will, again, be getting a T-shirt, as well as paying out classes and awesome banners for division winners and some cool chairs for showmanship also. So there's prizes to be won for sure, and there's good times to be had. And so we just welcome everyone out to watch and exhibit and look forward to having a great weekend at the Franklin County Fairgrounds in Franklin, Nebraska. That again, Ralston and Raylan Rip. Check them out on Facebook, Champions in the Valley, and go out and enjoy a lot of shade trees at the Franklin County Fairgrounds. So find your favorite shade tree, find your favorite species, or your favorite youth exhibitor, and, and enjoy the show. Thank you again, Ralston and Raylan, for giving us the time and showing us the inner workings of the Champions in the Valley. Again, coming up this Saturday in Franklin, Nebraska. With the business report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Bergen. Stocks swayed between small gains and losses in afternoon trading on Wall Street, while investors continue searching for direction as the economy recovers from its pandemic slump. 
A variety of companies that rely on direct consumer spending made solid gains. Technology stocks also ticked higher. Those gains were kept in check by falling health care stocks. Banks recovered from an earlier slide but remained weighed down by falling bond yields. The stock of Fastly, an Internet cloud services provider, was 5.7% higher after the company said it had addressed an internal problem that caused dozens of websites around the globe to go down briefly. U.S. employers posted a record 9.3 million job openings in April as the U.S. economy reopens at a breakneck speed. Openings were up 12% from 8.3 million in March, but employers hired just 6.1 million, up 1% for March, according to a Labor Department report suggesting that job vacancies are opening faster than companies can fill them. The U.S. trade deficit narrowed in April to $68.9 billion. As an improving global economy boosted sales of American exports, the April deficit, the gap between what America buys from abroad and what it sells to other countries, was down 8.2% from a record March deficit of $75 billion. The chief executive of the massive fuel pipeline hit by ransomware last month told senators today that authorizing a multi-million dollar payment to hackers was one of the toughest decisions I have had to make in my life, but also the right thing to do for the country. Colonial Pipe CEO Joseph Blount faced the Senate Homeland Security Committee one day after the Justice Department revealed it had recovered the majority of the 4.4 million ransom payment the company made in hopes of getting its system back online. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. KRBN, The River, and Cami want to make you our big 70th anniversary winner. We've gone platinum for the summer of 2021, and you could win a brand new 2020 Ram 3500 Dually pickup with a Hillsboro aluminum flatbed. We're celebrating a big year with an even bigger prize. Thanks in part to Suretop Angus and Charlay Farnham, Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, and Colorado Land Tire Group, and Central Valley irrigation in Holdridge, Lexington, and Kearney. We're giving you a lot of ways to register to win. Stop by one of the many registration locations across the state. Come see us at a summer event and listen for your chance to call in and register on air. You'll have fun driving this from the pasture to a tailgate outside of Memorial Stadium. Sustainability and agriculture are two buzzwords that have been going hand in hand and is picking up more in popularity. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. A webinar yesterday hosted by AgriPulse talked about sustainability and views of different folks within the industry. We hear today from Representative Abigail Spamberger. She is the chair of the House Ag Committee's Subcommittee on Conservation and Forestry. And for her education on sustainability in agriculture, she looks right to her constituents. Since I've arrived in Congress, I have been so fortunate to learn from the growers in my district. I represent Virginia's 7th Congressional District, which stretches across 10 counties, and we have agriculture of all types throughout our district. Um, In Virginia, the farm economy alone brings in $70 billion annually and supports more than 300,000 jobs. So I am so excited to have the opportunity uh, to represent and advocate for the diversity of agriculture that we have in in our district and in our commonwealth. I, I once had a farmer tell me that farmers are the original conservationists, and I think that's true. 
Uh, and I think that's really um, the, where I square myself when as chair of the conservation and forestry subcommittee, I think about conservation issues. Um, because I think about what it means for the farmers and producers who care, um, as, as you all do, about the, uh, the health of their soil and the productivity of their land. And the representative said she knows that agriculture has to be at the table to have the conversations about sustainability in the industry. And I know that we need to invest in voluntary practices that have a proven record of success uh, on the farmlands for the producer uh, and certainly for our larger community. And since arriving in Congress, I have heard uh, and seen firsthand about the innovative ways that precision agriculture is really changing the game for so many of our producers on the ground. And I've heard directly from FSA and from NRCS about how their agencies are adapting to conditions on the ground. And I've been able to really gather ideas about um, how it is that conservation is moving America forward. Uh, and, and I've been able to welcome producers to Capitol Hill to talk about how their practices increase yields, increase profits, uh, reduce the cost of inputs, and overall improve the health of their soil. And most importantly is to put those ideas from producers into action in Washington. And one of the ideas uh, that I am so proud to champion in Congress is the Growing Climate Solutions Act. I introduced this bill again this year with Congressman Don Bacon of Nebraska, and I'm really hopeful that it will move through Congress soon. Senator Stabenow and Braun are leading the effort in the Senate, uh, and hopefully the House and the Senate will partner to push this bill forward uh, and actually see it signed into law. This bill would break down barriers for farmers and ranchers and foresters who are interested in participating in carbon markets, and it would reward them for embracing smart practices, practices that are also good for uh, the maintenance and health of their land. And as many of your audience members probably know, in recent years, there really has been limited access to information about markets, to qualified technical assistance providers, and to credit protocol verifiers. And so this limited access has really restricted the participation of landowners in carbon markets. So our bill would create a certification program at USDA to solve these uh, technical entry or entry barriers. Those comments coming from Representative Abigail Spanberger, who spoke on a webinar yesterday on sustainability and ag. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, good afternoon. We're going to take a look at the closing grain futures with John Payne. He's a senior marketing analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, market this saw some positivity happening. I'm sure weather has been a big factor we've seen. Yeah, and it's also the I think the overall trade and the motions of trade wanting to chase a weather story. Uh, I think Minneapolis wheat, and I know I've been talking about this all week, it's not crop grown in that area by many folks. Um, but north of you guys, you, know, you catch this big, big drought, the market bids it up, and then you get the report confirming the drought, and then all of a sudden it backs off 60 cents as rain showers approach. So this is kind of the market I think you can expect in, in corn as well. Soybeans, uh, certainly. Um, I think soybeans have a much, much tighter profile that they need, they have, they have big demand that needs to be met, and that needs all hands on deck. In the case of corn, it could stand to lose some production because it has the the idea of increased acres. So um, that might save things short-term. Long-term, though, demand is still there. Brazilian prices are north of $8, and I expect you'll see July corn really pick up here as we get closer to delivery. 
As you look at what's been happening, I know yesterday was the first numbers that came out from the USDA when it showed actual conditions for soybeans. Any surprise that you saw in those numbers? No, not really. I, I, I have a hard time with crop progress numbers. I just I take them at face value. I think trade's going to react to them initially, and then it's it's kind of like a game, right? The the big game is tomorrow, and, and they play the game, and then it's over, and then everybody looks at the next games and the schedule. So we got a long way to go here, uh, and I think you know it's going to digest some of the early numbers rather quickly. I think the forecasts are more important, especially for Iowa and Northwest Iowa, Southeast Southwest Iowa is, is poking into some dry territory as well. Um, that's where if you lose a, if you lose a you know a state like the Dakotas, and if you combine them both, they produce. I think they're number four in beans, they're number six in corn, number five in corn maybe. So it's a big area. And in, in the case of, uh, of the soybean rating, you know, if you're going to hack off 50, 60 million bushels from from uh, from the Dakotas, it's going to have to be made up elsewhere. And that probably is going to be, be Iowa um, and, and, and Illinois and, and Indiana. And I think those states are performing so far. So just be ready for a lot of volatility. I think you know, don't find yourself chasing the market. That's very good, strong advice. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon, John. Joining again, John Payne is with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at danielsagmarketing.com. And remember, talking to commodity futures and options involves substantial risk of loss, might not be suitable for all investors. As we take a look at what's been happening within this grain complex for today, again, positivity all the way across the board on the grain complex. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Thank you very much, Susan. That will wrap up midday here on the 8th of June. You can catch the midday podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors. Wherever podcasts are available or farvn.com.